0: Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10:30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. All righty. Well, before we get going, a couple of things. Uh, we're wrapping up Leviticus and are uh, talking about the Old Testament this morning. Next week, we start uh, verse by verse uh, through Luke, Gospel of Luke. So you'll be one, uh, uh, reading up on that, you want to be reading through chapter one uh, of Luke for next week. Uh, second, I'm still on the tail end of whatever in the world one of you gave me, shaking my hand out there, and um, uh, so that's why I still have a cough drop in, and I'm on the tail end of it, but it's still there. Uh, the other thing, is, so please forgive that, the other thing is a number of you asked about how things went in Kansas City at the International Conference uh, of Missions, where Megan was kind of debuting her women's ministry, the Bold Movement, which you don't know. It's basically a ministry that she started that teaches the Bible to women so that they're better evangelists and disciples of other women, and teaches women how to study their Bible in a verse-by-verse way, in a deeper way. And so she launched that at ICOM. She was one of the first speakers, uh, and she hasn't done a lot of public speaking, and she got up in front of more than 5,000 people, and she nailed it. She absolutely did a great job. And... Um, she had a breakout session where they set up a um, 100 chairs, and it was overflow. There were probably about 110, 112 people who showed up for her breakout session. Then she spoke at the Women of Purpose. Her, her booth was constantly busy. She sells sweatshirts and T-shirts in order to pay for all this stuff because the website costs money and all this other kind of stuff costs money. She sold about 85% of all the stuff she had. So it was, it was a good thing, and we thank you for – hush. And <laughs> – you had your time. Um, so it went really well. And I asked uh, put on Facebook for you guys to be praying for. God heard your prayers. I want to thank you for that. So I just keep praying that God continues to bless that because it's a good thing. The, the reason why we've done this series specifically on Leviticus is Leviticus probably the toughest Old Testament book to get through and really comprehend and understand. But it's really part of a series on defending the Old Testament um, period because it's kind of come under attack lately. There was a there's a guy down in Atlanta, got a really big church, 30,000, 40,000 people, and he wrote a book and a study that went with it. And, and the book basically argues, look, guys, um, we're Christians, we deal with the resurrection, forget about the Old Testament. Um, and when I heard him preach that sermon series, I went, what? Uh, because that's not the way the New Testament talks about the Old Testament. It's true that without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we would be without hope. That's very clear. But what? how does Paul describe the resurrection? Every time he talks about the resurrection, in accordance with the Scriptures. What Scripture is he talking about before the New Testament is even finished? He's talking about the Old Testament. You cannot understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. certainly can't understand the book of Revelation without the Old Testament, because it's constantly alluding to the Old Testament. And so, I I deeply disagree with that. I will take the stand that, as a Christian, the Bible is not Matthew to Revelation. It's Genesis to Revelation. That is God's Word. From Genesis 1 all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, all of it is God's Word. And, And so... What I also tried to answer is, okay, but, yeah, but why do we have it? I mean, wouldn't it have been enough if Jesus showed up, said, I'm the son of God, and everybody went, yeah, right, which they did, and he said, now, here's the deal. I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again in three days, and he pulls it off. People are going to be like, oh, well, maybe I should listen to this guy. Isn't that a no? And the answer is no, and Jesus made that very clear. Jesus himself says in John 5.39, though he says it in other places, if Chris, you've put that up there, John 5.39, and this is a verse you should have like underlined in your Bible. Jesus is talking to his Jewish opponents, the Jewish leadership who, who are actively opposing his ministry, and he says, you study the scriptures diligently, which means to study really hard. And indeed, most Jewish rabbis had the Old Testament memorized. They knew it well. He said, You study Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very Scriptures that testify about me. All of the Old Testament, he says it again in Luke 24. All the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. All of it. And see, we have a tendency, this is what we've done in churches, and we've been guilty of, of this just as a lot of churches have, We look at the Old Testament like that's the Bible for the kiddies. That's where all the children's stories are because that's where you got talking snakes and talking donkeys and and all this other kind of stuff and little David with his sling and all this other kind of stuff. And so, you know, most of the time if you go into a kid's Sunday school class, especially as old as I am, I remember growing up in the 70s and 80s, we had felt boards. You might remember the felt boards and they put the little characters up on the felt board. And it was almost always an Old Testament story. And then when I became a Christian and I started reading the Bible, I thought, man, if people teaching the Old Testament, teaching those stories, told the full story, those would be some interesting felt boards. Here, kiddies, is the angel of death striking down the firstborn in Egypt. Yes, David knocks down Goliath, and then he cuts off his head, and he holds it up. Here it is. I mean, you get into the book of Judges, Who? there is, have you read Judges? There is a scene in Judges where some poor woman is treated like a prostitute, and then she's chopped up and shipped all over Israel. You going to read that one to your kids at night? It's not a book for children's stories, and it's not a book that teaches little moral tales David faced his giant, so you can too. Good luck with that. David was actually really good with that slingshot. And it's not about that. It's about Jesus Christ. Everything points to Jesus Christ, even from the beginning. Genesis 3, 15, if you throw that up there. Most of you know the story, what's going on here. Adam and Eve in the garden... They're given really one prohibition. Don't eat from that tree. Of course, Eve eats from that tree. Ladies, do you have to eat everything? Um, just kidding. It's both of their faults. I know. But they, so then God comes to them and announces their punishment. But he also announces how he will redeem. And this is what he says He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to Satan. As well, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, he's saying there is out of Eve's line, there will come a birth, and this person will crush the head of Satan, destroying evil, but in the process, will suffer a mortal wound. If you were bitten by a snake up until fairly recent times, you were a goner. Today, you know, they go in the hospital and they pump you full of anti-venom, which, by the way, I had a buddy who was was bitten by a copperhead. you know how much that anti-venom cost That's hospital bill? $90,000. And so, but that's what happens today. Then, if you get bitten by a snake, it's just a matter of time. And so what's he saying? He's saying that, that... I will send someone to destroy Satan and his ways, but in the process, he will be destroyed. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus and the cross. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, he's talking about the coming of Jesus, and you see it over and over and over again. I'm not going through all of them, but it's everywhere. Genesis 22. You've probably read this story and been like, "What's going on here?" When God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, it's a weird story. It's given some people fits. There was a philosopher named Kierkegaard who almost lost his faith over that story. Why would God command something like that? What Kierkegaard didn't see was what the story was really saying. If you don't know the story, Abraham has waited a long time to have a son. He has Isaac. Isaac is his his precious son thing to him in the world his only son son of the promise and god comes to him and says abraham go to the top of this mountain and sacrifice your only son and abraham broken hearted but obedient to god and hebrews tells us he believed that if he had to go through with it god would raise isaac back from the dead but walks up isaac being who he is he agrees to be bound and just before he was ready to drive a dagger into Isaac, God says, whoa, 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 stop. And he explains what's going on there. He said, Abraham, now you see, now you truly see that you're an obedient servant. That's one. But two, he says, I would not ask you to sacrifice your son. What is that foreshadowing? God would not ask us to sacrifice our child, but He did. He was willing to do that. Again and again and again. I got a buddy up in Columbus, uh, Eric Shabo. Uh, you don't know him because he hasn't lived here, but you knew his grand- some of you knew his grandfather, his Pop Shabo. Um, Pop's place out in Wheelersburg. And Eric grew up in a predominantly Jewish area, and he has a heart to evangelize Jews to come to Christ. And so one of the things he'll do is he will take Isaiah 53 and he will print it off. He will take off all, uh, any, any indication that it comes from the Bible. Just the text of Isaiah 53. And he will sit down with his Jewish friends and he'll read it. Isaiah 53. Read the first nine or ten verses. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him, before God, like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised, rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, "'stricken by him and afflicted. "'But he was pierced for our transgressions. "'He was crushed for our iniquities. "'The punishment that brought us peace was on him, "'and by his wounds we are healed. "'We are all like sheep that have gone astray. "'Each of us have turned to our own way, "'and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or sin of us all. "'He was oppressed and afflicted, "'and he did not open his mouth. "'He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, "'and as a sheep before its shearers is silent.' So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression or sin of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin... He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Now, we can go on, but he reads that, and then he asks his Jewish friends, who does that sound like? And they say, well, it sounds like Jesus. And he says, yeah, and that was written by a prophet in your own Bible hundreds of years before he was born. He's brought people to faith that way. See how important the Old Testament is? You see that? Even Leviticus points to Jesus Christ, as we've seen. I get it. Look, first time I sat down and read my Bible, I, I get through Genesis, and there are parts of it I thought were strange, but okay. And I get through Exodus, and I really like the first, like, you know, 15 chapters or so. Then you get into the all the architecture of, like, the tabernacle. I'm like, eh, okay. And I get through that. And then you get to Leviticus, and you're like, and I'll have an offering for this, and an offering for that, and an offering for that, and don't wear this kind of clothes, and don't do this, and don't do that. I'm like, why is this here? But then when I got to Hebrews, if you read Hebrews, it tells you why it's there. The best interpretation you can get of Scripture is from Scripture, when Scripture interprets itself. And Hebrews does that for a lot of Leviticus. We've seen the sacrifices for sin in Leviticus, point to the severity of sin. God takes sin as a life and death matter. Not as just doing wrong, screwing up, whatever. He takes it as a crime against him, a crime that should require the death penalty. And then we see in Hebrews, all of those sacrifices to cover those sins are paid once and for all by Jesus Christ. They all point to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. All this stuff about clean and unclean all points to the fact that we are all, in our heart of hearts, unclean. And what do we need? We need the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to us. You can't earn it. He just gives it to you. That's what's going on in 2 Corinthians 5.21. That's what's going on all the time when Paul's saying, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. What he's saying is that when you come to faith, not only are your sins forgiven through the cross... That gets you to neutral. And to go before a holy God, you have to be righteous. Where do you get that righteousness from? You can't earn it. You have to get it from Jesus Christ. He gives you his perfect life to be judged by. At the end of days, you will be judged either by your own life or by Christ's life, you pick. Is it really a choice? It reminds me of um, something one of my Bible professors used to say when people would ask him what he thinks about the book of Revelation which divides so many people by how the end times are coming, all this sort of stuff. He said, look, he said, I just keep it simple. Book of Revelation is like this. God's team wins. Choose which team you belong to. Don't be stupid. Well, when it comes to this, it's the same thing. You choose to have faith in the righteousness of Christ or your own. Don't be stupid. Your own is not going to cut it. You need the righteousness of Christ to be clean. The priesthood all throughout points to our perfect priest. Who Hebrews 9, 20 says, Jesus Christ actually intercedes on our behalf as our priest at the throne. That means when you pray, your prayers are heard and repeated by the Son to the Father. Do you realize that? All of this points to Christ. All the meals, all the festivals in Leviticus point to the one festival that I can't wait for. Look, we're going to have fun tonight, for those of you coming to the Thanksgiving dinner. You know, we're going to eat, we're going to worship, we got a video to play, then we're going to play a a game, kind of a game show style game up here with four couples who signed up blindly and have no idea what they signed up for. And, and, you know, we're going to do all that stuff, we're going to have fun, it's going to be good, the food will be good, but what is ahead of us At the wedding feast of the Lamb is nothing you can comprehend. All the people of God gathered together to celebrate and eat with Jesus our King. That's what it points to. And because we have these prophecies of Christ all throughout the Old Testament that should really comfort you. Because do you know what that means? If, If God, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, says, this is what I'm going to do, and then who knows how many thousands of years later does it, what does that tell you? That tells you God is in control of history. There is nothing outside of God's control. Nothing. If you're suffering, there's a reason he's allowing it. If you're doing well, there's a reason he allows it. God is in control. You may not always understand it. You certainly will not always like it. But you need to understand that one of the functions of prophecy, prophecy is not just there to go, ooh, look what I can do. Prophecy is there to go show you that God is in control. And that all of this wraps up to this. The purpose, also, of the Old Testament and the New, both of them agree on this. While it does talk a lot about salvation and redemption and all the other kind of stuff, stuff about how we come to Christ and how we can be saved. Saved to do what? Here in three weeks. Dad will be preaching on Zechariah's prophecy at the end of Luke 1. Zechariah's prophecy, filled with the Holy Spirit, he makes this very clear. You have been saved to serve. Salvation in Jesus Christ is not just fire insurance, salvation in Jesus Christ means you have been redeemed to serve the God who redeemed you, to worship Him. To serve Him. Isaiah 43, 7 says that All life is about honoring and glorifying God in everything we do. Every facet of life. Everything. What we do with our money. How we make our money. How we deal with anyone and everyone. It all has to do with glorifying Jesus Christ and our God, and all of it. But, I do understand where this pastor who raised this objection to the Old Testament is coming from. Because I have sat across the table from enough atheists and heard their questions to know that it's the Old Testament where they, that's where they like to go to attack the faith. It's also where honest seekers and skeptics have serious questions, and I don't blame them. And a lot of the things they object to, we don't have, really, at the end of the day, great answers to. Why does God allow evil? I have to tell them, I don't know. All I know is that I believe in a God who is completely wise and completely righteous. And if he allows it, there's a reason for it. I don't know why. And God himself says he's not going to tell us everything. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. But that doesn't mean we don't have some good answers. And it doesn't mean the skeptic, the person who doesn't believe the faith has better answers they have actually if you just push them just gently a little bit you'll see that they have terrible answers they actually and and i've had some atheists get kind of upset with me on this this is where you got to keep your cool and remember it's not about winning the argument it's about being gracious and graciously defending scripture but i point out to them that in fact The only way they can make sense of the world around them is with the Bible. It's the only way they can. Genesis 1 tells us that God created the universe. I know how the universe came into existence. God spoke it into existence. They can't explain it. I've had people, intelligent, educated people, look at me and go, Well, maybe there was a vacuum that created the galaxy. And I'm like, Well, where did the vacuum come from? I don't know. So, what they're really saying is they're proceeding on blind faith that something came from nothing. Does that make any sense? There used to be a, a guy where I'm going to seminary, where I'm doing my doctorate. There was a guy there named Cornelius Van Till. How's that for a name? Western Michigan. And Dr. Till liked to use this example. he say, do you brush your teeth in the morning? Which hopefully everyone answered yes, and hopefully you do too, because that nasty breath you have, that's like decaying bacteria. That's gross, Okay. First thing you should do is get up, just brush your teeth. But he said, You know, okay, he said, How do you know the toothpaste is going to come out of the tube? It did yesterday, did the day before, did the day before that, even if I have to do this thing at the very top when I'm low. Why? See, I believe in order and cause and effect because I believe that the Bible teaches that our God is logical and reasonable and wise, and he ordered his universe that way. They cannot explain it. Under their worldview, the way they look at life, we're just stardust. We are just atoms smashing randomly. Nothing orderly should ever happen. We shouldn't count on anything orderly happening. I do because the Bible tells me what kind of God I worship, what kind of God created the universe and ordered it in such a perfect way. Do you know if our moon were moved just a few miles, we'd all die? It's in perfect orbit. Do you know we would have all suffered the fate of the dinosaurs if it wasn't for the fact that Jupiter and Saturn are in perfect orbit to catch all of those planet-killing asteroids, do you know what the odds are that that's just random chance? I can tell the atheist why human beings have purpose and worth because God made us in His image and likeness and says, you have purpose to honor and glorify me. You have worth because I made you in my image." They can't. In their view, we are nothing but random chance. We are the products of billions of years of random mutations, and we are nothing but a higher order of animal. Now, if we're just a higher order of animal, then a couple things follow from that. One, you don't think. You're just programmed. You just act on instinct. Now, I know some of you are animal lovers. I am, too. But that being said, I don't love animals on the level of people, one, because, sorry if you're an animal lover, but the Bible's very clear. We are the only ones made in the image and likeness of God. They're not. We can reason. Animals don't reason. They act on instinct or in a way that they train with punishment or reward. I have seen some of you, because I've been to your homes, I've seen some of you talk to your animals like they understand you. Come on, okay? Like, let's say you go get a dog, and you go out here to the shelter, and you get a puppy, and you take it home, and it does what a puppy does, which it uses the bathroom on your floor, never on the hard floor either, always on the carpet, right? And I have seen people go, Spot, that is not where you go to the bathroom. We go to the bathroom outside where there's green stuff, grass. That's where you go to the bathroom, Spot. You know what, Spot is hearing? Ba 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 ba, Spot. Ba 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 ba, Spot. That's it. Spot has no idea what you're doing. He's picking up on vibes, but he doesn't understand. Dogs do not reason, and I'm a dog person. Some of you are cat people, you should repent. But it just doesn't happen. Why is it that we can reason? I believe that the reason I can reason, I can think, I have logic, I have a consciousness, is because the Bible is very clear that he made us in his image and likeness. They can't explain that. If we're just higher order animals and we're just following instincts, which I tell the atheists, why are we arguing at all? I'm just programmed to be a Christian. You're not. So why are you upset? And as I said last time, because I believe the God of the Bible, I can say this is good and this is evil. The atheist cannot. Because without a transcendent, perfect God who lays down his law and says this is what is right and this is what is wrong, then it's just opinion. It's just opinion. And it's like I said last time it, it, it bears repeating it was one of the like you know i said i was watching this debate between a christian and, and an atheist on youtube a couple weeks ago and, and and the christian pastor got up and said said do you don't understand I said do you think the holocaust was evil and he's the atheist said yes and he said by what standard Where do you you get good and evil from? He goes, well, we just all decide as a community and we come together and we get a consensus opinion and that's what makes good and evil. He said, well, Germany's consensus opinion was cooking Jews was fine. So what you're really saying is, I as a Christian can stand at the gates of Auschwitz and say, this was evil. And all the atheists can do is go stand at those gates and go, I don't like this. That's it. And yet, don't we just instinctively believe in right and wrong and good and evil? Well, where does that come from? We believe in justice. I, out of instinct, turn on the news every morning. I don't know why. It's just depressing. But I turn it on, and I watch about Amber Alerts and and children disappearing and, and and, and I see another mass shooting, and I see these things. And I look at them, and the first thing I think is, that's evil. That's evil. If we're just a higher order of animals, animals don't do good and evil. Okay, spend 15 minutes watching National Geographic. Right, you never see a gazelle, turn around and look at an apex predator and go, hey, man, can we talk this out? It doesn't happen that way. I have, uh, I'm not a zoo person, but I've been to enough zoos. I've been to the zoo in D.C. I've been to the one in San Diego. have been to the one in Cincinnati. The best zoo, in my opinion, is Columbus, the best one I've been to. We're kind of lucky that way, and next time you go, To the Columbus Zoo, I want you to do something. Go pick out some species of monkey. Okay, now we all have our prejudices. Let let me just put mine out there on the line. I like big ape apes, like orangutans, like Clyde from Yeah, I I like those. The little ones are evil, and I know this from experience, because when I was a wee little thing. We lived over here on Eck Court. Our next door neighbor had snakes and spider monkeys. I don't know why. And one day, three year old little Matt is out in his sandbox. Do they have those anymore, by the way? And I've got my Tonka trucks and I'm just playing. And all of a sudden, there's this screeching and scratching. The spider monkey had gotten out of that house, jumped on my head, and started scratching at my eyes. My brother Brian and my sister Luanne still to this day fight over who did this. I'm not going to adjudicate that debate. But one of them came over, grabbed the monkey. The monkey turned around and started to scratch at them. Now, I do believe this was my brother. Because this is something he would do. He took it by its tail and just... Toss the thing. (laughs) Evil things. Attack a little three-year-old in a sandbox. They're evil. But regardless, if you go with the little, little ones, the little primates, or the big ones, I want you to go watch them for a while, because according to evolutionary biologists, they are fairly close to us in DNA. Okay, fine. Go watch them. Here's what happens at feeding time. Okay, they bring out the food, let's say for the chimps. They bring it out. All the chimps just, vroom, they descend on it. And they grab whatever they can. And sometimes you'll see this. You'll like see little, I don't know, cocoa and little, you know, hobo-bobo or whatever. And they're there. And one of them will have like a fruit. And the bigger one will just take the fruit right out of his hands. You know what the rest of the chimps do? Nothing. They don't look and go, Hey! That's Bobo's banana. You got enough to eat, man. Come on. No, you know what they do? The bigger one takes the little one, the little one goes and walks off, and they just all go eat and they don't care. Now, if we were standing in a food line like in the Great Depression, and you saw some big guy snatch the soup out of some little guy's hands, what would you do? You'd be angry. Like give Carl's suit back to him. Well, if we are just animals, if we are not made in the image and likeness of God, we shouldn't do that. We should just be like, yeah, yeah, he's bigger. But we don't. We say that is right, that is wrong. Where does that come from? Evolution can't tell you that. Science can't tell you that. Only the Word of God can tell you that. That we are made in the image and likeness of God. That's where that comes from. It's the only explanation. For it. The Bible makes sense, folks. In fact, it's the only way to make sense of the world around us. It just is. You say, what about this religion? What about this? Yeah, and I've debated with those two. I've debated with Muslims. I've debated with Mormons. I've debated. I've done all that. I've been through all that. And I promise you, from their scriptures, they can't make sense of the world. They can't. They just can't. We can. And here's the thing. Chris, if you throw up 1 Peter 3.15. In First Peter 3.15, Peter is writing to a church community that is being persecuted. They're suffering. In all likelihood, they were Jews who had been kicked out of the synagogue and now can't even get a job. They can't get work. They're starving. And what does Peter say to them? He says, first of this, put in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, or a better translation in the Greek is, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart first. Then, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Folks, this is not a suggestion, this is a command. God commands us to defend his word. Now, he, he understand that verse. Why does Peter say, first, set Christ apart in your heart as Lord? Why does he say that first? Because this is not about winning an argument. This is about honoring God. So you've got to have the right mindset. Does that make sense? And then you give the answer, you give the defense, but you do so with graciousness and reverence. And I know this takes work. I know that it's not fun. I would be willing to bet that myself and my wife are probably the only couple in the county that on a Sunday morning while drinking coffee are watching on YouTube, on our smart TV, watching atheist and Christian philosophers debate. And again, yes, we are available for parties. But it's how you learn. It's how you learn. It's how you learn these things. You don't have to know everything about science. I've just given you everything you need. If we're just animals, then why are we different, so different from animals? Where do you get right and wrong? Where does this come from? Just a couple of simple questions to a non-believer. Maybe the way God uses... Bring the Holy Spirit into that person's life. Give them a new heart. Bring them to faith. It's happened many times. I hear some people object to this. You can't argue people into the kingdom. You can't reason people into the kingdom. You can't. C.S. Lewis would disagree with you. The guy who wrote The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe and all that kind of stuff. C.S. Lewis was an Oxford scholar. His best friend was J.R.R. Tolkien, the guy who wrote Lord of the Rings. Isn't that amazing? The guy wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*, Road, and the guy who wrote Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit were across the hall from each other, writing at the same time. Tolkien was a Christian. Lewis was an atheist. They would meet every night in typical snobby English fashion with warm beer and pipes and all that kind of stuff, and they would sit there. And J.R. Tolkien would say, but can you answer me this question, Jack? They called him Jack. Can you answer me this question, Jack? Can you answer me this question, Jack? What about this, Jack? Lewis didn't have very good answers, and one day he was riding his motorcycle to the zoo. It's a theme here, I guess. In, and in London, and it hit him while he was riding his motorcycle. He said, I don't have any more objections. I don't know how to answer his questions. And he said something along these lines probably not because he's British, but oh, crap, I'm a Christian. And then he went on to defend the faith and mere Christianity and, and, and so forth. Don't tell me this can't happen. It most certainly can. And here's the other thing that studying this stuff, and if you want resources, I'll tell you where you go. And they're all free. Podcast, YouTube, you can find all this stuff for free. You don't have to go out and buy a bunch of books and all that other kind of stuff. is just, just for free. And, and you, by studying this stuff, here's the other thing that happens to you. What you're going to find is the more you know about how to defend Scripture, the more you're going to know Scripture. And the more you know Scripture, the closer you will be to God yourself. Does this make sense? I hope so. And by doing this, we do this without embarrassment. Yes, there are going to be some times where they ask you questions go, but isn't it weird that... Yeah, it's weird. I, I tell atheists, look, first time I read the Bible, and I get to Numbers, and I'm like, there's a talking donkey, Lord. I'm, here I am, I'm 24 years old, I'm trying to read and study your word and understand your ways, and all of a sudden, a Disney movie broke out. Talking donkey, where's the ogre, right? I mean, come on. And so I just tell atheists, yeah, it's weird. It's strange. But, and I know this is unsatisfactory for you, but this is the way it is. A God who can create the universe with his very speech and order it perfectly and could create something in us, a, a single human being. It took us like 50 years to map out our own DNA. It took us 50 years just to go, okay, here it is. We're still trying to understand it. And he did that like that. I said, so a God who can do that can make a donkey talk. I don't know why, but he can, and he did. So you do this without embarrassment, and you do this always to honor and glorify God because Scripture is very clear. Your entire purpose, the reason God created you and keeps you alive is to honor and glorify Him. It is not to look a certain way, have a certain job, earn a certain pay, have a certain degree or degrees, all that kind of stuff. That's not what life is about. Those things are important. That's not what life is about. According to the creator of the universe himself, life is about all of us honoring and glorifying God in all things and at all times times that's the reason you're here people ask me all the time what's god's will for my life now, typically that means who am i going to marry and what job am i'm going to have i'm like dude i don't have a holy crazy eight ball back there what do you want i have no idea i do know this god's will for everyone's life is to honor and glorify him in all things and at all times that's what it's about Okay, I'm done. Um, next week, going to Gospel of Luke. So, what do you want to do this week? Read Luke 1. Now, okay, let me be geeky, and I'll get you out of here. Here's the thing. This is the pastor. me. i got to do it. Read the whole book. Okay? It's 24 chapters. It's, it's going to take you an hour. Read the whole book. Okay? Just read it. Read the entire gospel of Luke. Read it all, and then go back and reread chapter 1. That's where Dad will kick off next time. We're going to be in Luke and Acts for a long time, so settle in, all right? We're going verse by verse through it, baby. All right, remember to pick up your angels. Remember, if you're coming to Thanksgiving dinner, be in your seat by 6 o'clock. God bless you. God goes with you. I'm going home to watch my bingles loose. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.